Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. I think that's what we're going to do in this uh, episode of Bleacher Blums. We're we're doing a late night podcast recording for those that uh, are listening to us. I, myself, Jeff Blum, have uh, what I I did, uh, Johnny Green Label, and what I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret, even though if you're watching this on our short hops on YouTube channel, Mm -hmm. I have got, uh, what I say, Johnny Green, and then I did a splash of ginger ale. I don't know if you guys have ever done that, but it's pretty good. It's effective, and it offsets and looks like I'm just pounding a mountain of bourbon, so or whiskey or whatever this is, yeah. I just went straight bullet, two fingers of bullet with one ice cube. Bullet is strong. I like me some yeah, bullet. Well. Eagle, eagle rare. I think I was talking about that earlier with Mark. But how you doing, Tuttle? Because I've I've got nothing, dude. This sucks. I'm I'm so sick and tired of baseball right now. It's unbelievable. It hasn't even started. So you said last week you had nothing, and we pulled off a miracle with Mark Ramos. I'm gonna as I'm usual, gonna give you this some good editing. Listen, I'm gonna just tell you the same thing I tell my wife. I'm gonna give you the strongest ten minutes you I've got. <laughs> oh, that's <great>. hey. <laughs> But Where's that? We need the, we go. Look at, we need the we lost Mark. Roll. We're That's two yeah, minutes into the show and we lost Mark. Yeah, this, yeah. <laughs> this is the be, the best ten minutes I got all day, and, and I think that's uh, I think that's probably good. Give us ten minutes. We got. I'll run through. Uh, oh, we can raise a toast to Mister uh, Giambi. We lost a yeah a patriot yesterday. News. Yes, yep. terrible news. Had to hear Joel Wolf's whatever voice. I guess I don't know his comments, which uh, that's a good thing, but. Anyway, that was a bummer. So James Harden got traded uh, again. So former Houston Rocket forcing his way me, around. Me, that's yeah, interesting that's interesting. One. Yeah, I've got some uh, on on tap, probably sponsored by St. Arnold. As I roll through this, the Waste Management Open, the Super Bowl. Um, Sean White just yeah, um, finished just up his that. Olympic. You know what was su- super cool about it, and maybe we can get into it a little bit, and maybe I'd love to hear a story from you about players that you kind of either idolized or got to play with, um, you know, that you were shared the field with. Because Sean White finished his run, and, I mean, he's 36 years old, and he finished his last run in fourth place, and he's not going to medal. All the competitors are sitting there going, we would not be here without you, my man. Like, you brought the sport to where it is, and I think it would be a great thing to hear maybe – um, I knew there were people that I looked up to and people I got to see in spring training that I was like, wow, that, you know, I got to be in the same locker room with him. And then there yeah. were people I got to meet, you know, growing up in Connecticut. Um, I watched a lot of Yankees and Mets fans or a lot of Yankees and Mets games. And when I met Lou Pinella, I was like, oh, <laughs> not quite the guy that I thought I'd like to meet <laughs> when he was batting. Why are like, you doing this six to me, man? The, why why hey, are come you on. poking the bear? No, no. You do not have to talk about him. I'm saying let's talk about Oh, for idols, Christ's but, sake, son. Yeah. Fuck. Come on, Christ's sake, son. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to bring up, which was kind of interesting, it was a little midweek, but because your daughter has committed to a college, um, there was an interesting game during the middle of the week, Arkansas-Auburn. Auburn's ranked number one. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you saw that, the court storm and the like, the dancing and the whole deal. Dunk. Oh, my gosh. It was. Oh, awesome. but I mean, it's a – so this is the point I was going to make, and I wasn't the only one that said this, but I do want to take credit because I, I, you know, because I wasn't, it's your podcast. Well, and, but I wasn't we crushing a source. So in case you wanted to know, Arkansas was in the Elite Eight last year, and Eric Musselman's their coach. Like uh, <clears throat> they're not like they're not, this isn't not like sneaky. Yeah, this isn't the uh, what do you call it? The <laughs> parochial school. What is, what's the other school? The, the yeah, di- directional parochial. Yeah, it's not the directional the parochial. <laughs> and I mean, they finished that game. The lights went out and fireworks went off. Like anyway, that, we got. We yeah. must touch on that because was if your daughter is there next year and she's on that court, she's gonna be sent home. You're gonna have to call her home and give her a little. Giver of the you know a speech about the etiquette. So there we go. So those were the things I was gonna throw out at you. We can't talk baseball, so we got Super Bowl, Super Bowl. We got golf. We got Arkansas. We got some Olympics, and we got James Harden. And we could probably do a whole podcast on him. So anyway, that's what I got. Yeah, that's good stuff. And I greatly appreciate you being available to be able to do this and bring a little bit of content. It's funny because, you know, we I usually try and do a little bit of preparation, and obviously today was a big day as far as Rob Manfred speaking for the first time since December 2nd. Uh, but with you going through those list of topics and that we're going to hit on here real quick and just writing some notes down, it's good that you're able to spark that and uh, hopefully bring some of the 
some of the energy and knowledge out of this podcast because it's been, it's been a slow week for the Blums. Uh, my dog is an idiot back here growling. I don't know if you can see in the lower right of my corner, <laughs> but uh, it's always a good time. And uh, so we just hit on baseball real quick because the other stuff is way more interesting. And I didn't know if you were paying attention to the NBA stuff because we've talked about it plenty of times where we don't really – we really don't dig into the NBA until the playoffs and start talking about it because that's when it gets interesting to us. But uh, the regular season had its uh, – uh, today was the NBA uh, trade deadline, which is always yeah. interesting, I think. And that's how James Harden got traded away from Brooklyn to Philadelphia. But baseball first. Rob Manfred spoke, and I was talking to our producer, Mark, before the show. If you have been listening to the Bleacher Blums – and then you hear what Rob Manford says, you kind of sit back and go, duh, we heard this. We talked about it. We talked about how the universal DH was going to be the universal DH. Guess what to happened today? Universal DH. <gasps> Ho-hum. Great. Super. What do you got next? And then they, I think they had a compensatory pick that they uh, eliminated from, from something. I'm not sure what's going on with that. But uh, it was nothing major. He says that they're on the same timeline. They expect to get a full slate of games in. I think the idea, if I'm reading the tea leaves and reading between the lines and using my, my intestinal baseball fortitude, I'm saying that maybe with a week to go or the end of February, you're going to hear an agreement on a CBA. Because in the article I read in The Athletics said that once the CBA is agreed on, it'll take one week to get everybody on the field and then a one week to get everybody playing games and off we go. I think you're going to see an abbreviated game schedule as far as spring training is concerned. Uh, and then you're going to see uh, Major League Baseball. But uh, I don't know if you heard any of the news or if you have any of that. I'm just going to stick with the facts because I can't do anything else. <laughs> no, that's right. Excellent. Good facts. I did hear most of that. The, the I would like to kind of tee off a little bit. Not tee off. That's the wrong word. The universal DH. Um, I heard a really good point on that today. And, and I think it's about time for lack of a better word, and we've talked about on the podcast being a pitcher. I think until double-A, when we played National League squads or triple-A, we didn't have mm -hmm. to bat. But, man, you know, I I always swear I'm going to look up this guy's name. I faced a guy who pitched in the big leagues for the Cardinals, but he was like 23 in triple-A. And I remember batting ninth in the lineup, and it wasn't a bunning situation. It was like two outs, nobody on. And I couldn't – I mean, he was throwing me like an 88-mile-an-hour slider – that I was like, oh, all right. So this is like, I mean, you know, you know how much we work on hitting. Like I could have bunted it really easily, but you know, a bat shatter later, like end of the bat, like, <laughs> you know, you're like, oh, that's, it's not really that comfortable. And I know everyone's like, well, there are a couple of pitchers like DeGrom will hit for himself. And they're saying, you know, unintended consequences of this universal DH is, you know, people like Bumgarner and Jacob DeGrom and, you know, maybe even Granky, like guys like this that could stay in the lineup. Maybe the maybe the manager decides to use them in a different way. I mean, I'm, I, that's maybe a whole nother podcast, but I thought that was interesting. Unintended consequences, like, hey, we could have a real hitter in here, and then you look at Degrom or some of these guys that could swing it. You're like, you're just going to bat for yourself. Um, but before we get into the universal DH, which, like you said, uh, duh, it's pretty. Um, I don't know, uh, contrition might be the word, but they haven't really. Um, they haven't really conceded anything yet, and I think when you talk no, about a short either side, and I, we, that's we right. talk, that's why I'm saying if you listen to this podcast, yeah. you said it, I said it, we said this isn't yeah. a concession, and the, right. the and the players aren't giving this to the owners. It's exactly we all we all knew this was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. Uh, my the only they, thought they're I putting that, it in their pro column, like, hey, we've yeah. made some concessions, and then the yeah, other the owners piece are like, of that, oh, we gave in. You're, That's right. On. And the other piece of that was exactly what you said about the shortened spring training schedule. Guess what big leaguers want? They train in the opposite. They want a shortened spring training schedule. I mean, it may cut into the golf game, but like, let's get a couple <laughs> weeks under our belt and let's get rolling. I mean, so these things, as you pointed out, are the facts, but these are these are not things that are like revelatory or, oh my gosh, this I can't believe this isn't, you know, this is happening. This is mm -hmm. what was expected. And so really, to your point, the next few weeks or the next few kind of days are going to be what tell us like, all right, who's doing what? But yeah, yeah. I mean, what you said, yes, we're going to have a shortened spring training season. Great. I mean, we've talked about that. The players are chomping at the bit. They want to play. And, you know, the squads are the squads by then. So I, I don't think like you, you, you pointed out, Universal DH, I think, is going to be a good thing. 
Uh, a shortened spring training schedule is fine with most of the teams. You know, there's always a couple guys on the either on the cutting room floor, or, you know, having to get in shape and you know things like that that may be affected. But for the long haul, it's going to be fine. Um, tell me about your thoughts on the universal DH. Like, is this something that's been yeah. a long time coming? And then, what do you think in terms of the what I said about the unintended consequences of you know having some pitchers that can actually swing the bat? Well, it, how many guys can actually hit? You know, you just rattled off three or four, and there's at least 13 guys on 30 rosters that that play the game and have the potential to get an at bat. So, you know, the numbers are slim as it is, and I mean, everybody points to the Bartolo Colon home run in San Diego. <laughs> It turned into a, a, you know, it turned into a meme. It turned into a gif. It turned into a, you know, it's, it's a laughing stock. And what it, what it was, it just made the poor pitcher who threw that pitch that much more embarrassed. So I mean, it was entertaining, but that was one swing in the last five or six years where you're like, oh, that was great to watch a hitter, you know. Blind squirrel that- finds a nut. I mean, yeah. every once in a while, they're throwing it hard enough, and you're swinging. You had enough at bats. I mean, I, I I had a you know two RBI double in AAA at one point. Like, yeah. I mean, I, that doesn't make me a great hitter. <laughs> hey, you had a nice game, <laughs> one for two with two RBIs. Like, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, and I think the game has evolved. You know, if it wasn't for uh, the National League, I probably wouldn't have had the career I had because I, I was pinch hitting, I was double switching, I was doing things like that. But that being said, I think the game has gone analytic. And what we're seeing in the American League is there are opportunities to pinch hit because more teams are playing matchups and you can slide a guy in there who you think is going to be a better matchup for pinch hitting. So I think that the utility player is still in play and has value in this league. You know, the Marwin Gonzalez's are the guys you think of and and people like that, you know, the Aledmus Diaz who are versatile enough, play good enough defense and can find their way into a game. That being said, I think on the other hand, you know, there was the expectation that the pitcher was supposed to be effective in the box. I think that theory went out the window ages ago. And now you have a handful of guys like Tuttle was saying who can actually hit. And then you've got 75 or 95% who just don't give a damn and only worry about pitching. So I think it allows the opportunity for pitchers to pitch. It allows hitters to hit. And who knows, maybe it extends, you know, it, 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 it extends a career like it did for Edgar Martinez or, you know, a, uh, Poppy, you know, big Poppy, who was just a phenomenal hitter, couldn't play a lick of defense. You're going to find these guys who you can not necessarily hide, but maybe extend their value by putting them in that DH role. And I think that's why the players were pushing for it too. You know, the pitchers are saying, look, all I want to do is pitch. I don't want to dig in and risk injury. And hitters were going, well, that opens up 15 more spots on a roster for me to figure out how to make that team. So I think that's where it benefited both sides. And I think it was, it was a mutual understanding, even though they're going to play it to their benefit in the media but i just think it was a foregone conclusion that this eventually was going to happen and manfred just happened to be the guy that jumped out in front and said we're giving him the universal dh who knows well i don't know it shouldn't be a concession but you know what poppy that's a great one hall of famer by the way and probably not a hall of famer unless uh, he was a dh albert pujols you know wouldn't have got that big contract with the angels had they not kind of projected him into yeah you're right uh, a DH spot. League. and now you look at you know him finishing his career with the Dodgers uh, the last few years in the playoffs, he was a less of a factor because they couldn't find a way to put him in the game in a double switch kind of pinch hitting situation. I mean, I think, yes, you wanted that bat for that quick strike and maybe that one opportunity, but I felt like he was almost devalued when he went from the Angels to the Dodgers, even though he was mm-hmm. in a higher leverage situation. I mean, that was kind of how, um, you know, that that was my take on that, so... Um, yeah. I will also say we've seen an end to running out to the bases with the jacket. So the windbreaker is now <laughs> the windbreaker is a, a long gone thing, right? Like what? Yep. I never understood that anyway. I mean, yes, I would wrap a towel around my arm, you know, between innings, but I do think the running out, you know, to the base with the <laughs> all right timeout. We got to run out there and give him a jacket. Like so, now he runs slower and he's not able to stay warm while yeah, he's running. That was the like the Stay like, Puff Marshmallow Man out there. Yeah. So that's right. So guess what? That's that's gone by the wayside. So I think baseball is probably probably better better for not having the timeout where somebody's got to run out the shiny satin jacket to the, to the yeah. pitcher who's going to probably not run the bases. And if the pitcher does run the bases now, they're coming in, like you said, almost as a utility guy. And I think that might be an exciting part of this, depending on how many pitchers you keep on the roster. You're going to mm-hmm. see you know, what we always called the true athletes. You're going to see the true athletes become a bigger yeah. part of the 25-man roster, in my opinion. 
No, I agree. And it's going to, you know, National League managers who have been doing it for a while are going to have to adjust their rosters to accommodate that. Now you don't have to carry that extra position player. Maybe you can carry an extra guy in your bullpen or you decide to maybe turn that extra position player into a burner, you know, and just have that one burner guy that comes in, steals you a couple bases and wins your ball game late. But, you know, that's that's the that's, you know, everybody, all the purists and traditionalists are going to say, oh, it's it's. You're taking the strategy out of the game. I don't. I having been in the American League and now understanding the analytics a little bit more and the matchups and things like that. I don't think, I don't think it's going to take that much strategy out of it. I think it's going to encourage guys to maybe play and focus a little bit better on their craft and maybe the talent gets a little bit better, and we get to see some better baseball because. I was not a fan of seeing an instant out, you know, the rally killers. Now you actually have to force these pitchers to face nine guys throughout the course of a, of a, uh, of a ball game and a lineup. I think that's going to, you know, it could, it could expose some guys actually, to be honest with you, who aren't able to get through nine guys in a, in a lineup. I don't know. It's a lot of things yeah. to explore, but we need baseball first to even think yeah. about it and watch it. So that's a great point. Until and, then, uh, I- yeah, well, right. And let me finish with one baseball thought because what you just said about the nine-hole hitter and your career was predicated on that, coming in, double-switching. Blummer, you can play second base, left field, third base, whatever. And that was a huge part of it. You'll see some more strategy and some more chess and some more tweaking with the American League the way it is. But I, but I like what you said. I mean, we're going to have to wait and see how the game evolves. I also thought in the National League that, you know, if the eighth hitter was your, like, Martin Maldonado or your Mark Belanger, then you had the eighth hole hitter Great in there, goal. and then you had the nine hole. So you're looking at, now you're looking at nine hitters versus maybe in some cases seven and a half hitters. And I think mm-hmm. that's kind of another, I mean, we're going to, we want to see hitting, right? They've always claimed to be offense. It doesn't have to be home More runs, offense, but, yeah. you know, I know as a pitcher, I mean, yeah, it was the seven hitter was like a, you know, a long ball guy and maybe, you know, maybe had a, you know, a proclivity to strike out, but you didn't mm-hmm. want to make a mistake to him. And then you, you know, Hey, I can get the eighth hitter and I can get the ninth hitter. You know, it was definitely strategic on a pitcher's standpoint to not see yeah. possibly the tough part of the lineup. But now, I mean, with the American league, you know, that eight hole hitter may be, uh, you know, the eight and nine hitter are going to be legitimate major league hitters. It's going to certainly create uh, more offense and more strategy around that. So, um, let me jump to the Olympics because I have a question for you. I just, right before we talk about late night podcast here, our little uh, bourbon whiskey, scotch, whatever we have in the glass podcast. And um, Sean White had just finished his Olympic career, a, a quite illustrious Olympic career, and finished fourth in the half pipe on the snowboard. By yeah, the way, cool. those dudes are 15 to 18 feet out of that half pipe. That's that, dude. That no. is gnarly. I have a friend who snowboards and I've never. They're jumping off a two story building, dude. Oh. I have a friend who snowboards, and I'm like, well, I have no context. I've never snowboarded into a half pipe. And he goes, yeah, yeah, when we go, they get, like, to the top of the half pipe. Like, you know, if they can get their board out of – yeah, they don't jump out of it. They just kind of use it like a ramp. They're like, oh, that's crazy. Anyway, these guys were – Oh, man. Oh, yeah. These guys are 18 – 15 to 18 feet out of it. So, anyway, but Sean White finished um, fourth. He finished with a crash on his last jump, and he comes down the bottom of the hill, and everybody's clapping on TV and everything, and he's got little tears in his eyes. And he comes around the corner to all the guys that have already gone and all the guys that are there. It's about 15 competitors or 15 to 20, and they are just standing ovation for him as he walks in or skis or snowboards into the little waiting area. And I just thought, man, every single one of these kids, I mean, the guy who won the gold is 22 years old. Sean White's 36, so... (laughs) You know, he was in the Olympics before this guy was born, and they're all clapping for him. Essentially, he paved the way. Tony Hawk did the same thing in your big league career. I mean, it was kind of it was it was cool. I mean, basically, they were saying we wouldn't be yeah. doing this without you, and it was amazing. In your big league career, did you play with any of your idols? Did you play with guys that you had watched on TV that you wanted to either be a peer with or be like? And you know, what what is that feeling? I know you can relate to that feeling, but I, it's not something yeah. I ever ever got. Um, what, what, you know, what, what do you think was going through Sean White's mind and then those guys' minds? And then can you translate that to what your feelings were when you got to the big leagues? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I haven't seen the post, you know, post, uh, 
snowboard competition interviews with Sean White. But I hope that he says somewhere in there he's grateful because all we ever want is an opportunity. And that is a guy who had the opportunity, took advantage of it, and absolutely elevated the sport into the stratosphere it is now where you've got kids globally who want to go out and be snowboarders because of Sean White. And then you see that exhibition he puts on in front of those kids who are on the same level. And that's where I can kind of relate. You know, I was a huge Cal Ripken Jr. fan when I was a kid because I was that tall, gangly shortstop who, who maybe didn't have the, the visible range that maybe some other guys did, but I was able to make plays, uh, created leverage, leverage at the plate and you know hit some bombs and things like that. But I was like, if Cal Ripken do it, can do it, why can't I? Not saying I had Cal Ripken type skill, but I was just like, <laughs> this guy's six foot four and playing a primary position on the field. So I, you know, I just I that was that was the bar I wanted to get to. And I actually had the opportunity to play against Cal Ripken Jr. early on in my career uh, when he was with the Baltimore Orioles. And so, you know, it was one of those situations where I, I you know, I got to third base and, I, you know, he comes over and he's like, hey, you know, hey, Jeff, and you just have that interaction. And I just kind of gave him the like, you know, thanks for everything, you know, and I hope that that's what he's getting right now from or Sean White's getting from some of these guys. You know, the, those are the moments that you kind of really latch on to. Uh, Mark McGuire, I had a great moment with Mark McGuire. I had a great moment with Barry Bonds. Uh, you know, those were the guys that I watched and heard about in high school. And then, you know, the Jeff Bagwells and Craig Biggios. When I got traded from the Montreal Expos to the Houston Astros, I tell it all the time. I felt like I got called up again because I was going to be around greatness. You know, there, you knew as well as, you know, you're watching and playing against some of these guys. And you're like, okay, that dude is... He is, he's up here, like in this, you know, in the ozone layer. And I'm down here, like trying to get out of the ocean. And this is, that's how good some of these guys are. But I didn't get a chance to play with anybody who walked off the field. But I love the fact that Sean White, no matter the crash, was able to take his helmet off, kind of tip his cap, so to speak, in baseball terms and say, thank you. And I think that was a really uh, a gracious moment by all the other snowboarders out there, recognizing that you know you got to have that trailblazer, you got to have that guy who went before you and really said, "This is how it is now, and you are what could be next." And that you know we saw it tonight, like you were talking about, some of these dudes going you know 15, 20 feet out of a pipe, uh, you know flipping and moving and curling and diving and 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 landing it perfectly and making it look easy is because Sean White continued to push that bar, much like uh, you know uh, Tony Hawk. That's another guy down in Southern California that I remember. I was like, dude, this guy's just a Grom. And then all of a sudden you're like, no, this guy was it. Um, did you happen to see Kelly Slater win the yeah. Pipe Masters? Yeah, he won the Pipe Masters How about at that? 40. What is he, almost 50? 40, I know that doesn't mean 40, anything to uh, maybe yeah. anybody else on this podcast but yeah. us. But I got emotional, dude. I was like, dude, this guy's yeah. my age. And he yeah. just went out and he won pipe the Pipe Masters yeah. 30, it was almost 30 years to the, you know, after he won it the first time. So, yeah. you know, I, I just appreciate that. And, and it was fun to watch. And I, I love that my girls get to watch that kind of stuff. I agree. And I think we've said this before too, but to me, it's not, I mean, obviously your skill, we, I talk about like playing Tuesday night basketball at the YMCA. Like we beat some of the younger guys, the way our team is, the experience helps, all that kind of stuff. But when you're at a high level, We've talked about this from baseball to, you know, 162 games. A lot of this becomes a mental grind to be able to do, like you said, to win the pipe masters 30 years apart, or even Tom Brady, you know, winning seven Super Bowls, yeah. like <laughs> starting fresh every year, you're energized at the beginning. But when you get to game mm -hmm. 150, like you're, 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 you know, your energy zapped, like depends on how everything's ass, yeah. working. But I just, yeah, I, I mean, it's a testament to him, and obviously they say, you know, do what you love and never work a day in your life, and it's a rare occurrence when you can be somebody like Kelly Slater or, um, you know, as you mentioned, um, uh, Tony Hawk, guys that, like, I mean, turn stuff into a video game or Sean White, but guess what? You said it. All you want is an opportunity. Can you make the most of the opportunity? And uh, they all did, but it's, it's quite uh, an amazing accomplishment. Um, let's go from amazing accomplishments to maybe – you know, what does the future hold here? Uh, we mentioned that we don't really follow the NBA till the playoffs, hockey till the playoffs. Um, obviously, football was fantastic this season. But James Harden had come to Houston and turned them into a playoff team and, you know, had taken them pretty far. Um, there are a lot of different things going on. And, you know, James Harden now, 
he had a wrist injury and then all of a sudden he had a hamstring injury and then he got traded. It's like, it sounds like, you know, it, it, somebody was accusing him of wearing a fat suit when he was in Houston to get out of Houston. Like they were saying one day he looked like he ate his way out of Houston and the next day he's like lean and, and mean. But, you know, how many teams can you go to? I, I So first of all, on its face, today was the trade deadline. James Harden got traded to the 76ers. Daryl Morey's the general manager there. Joel Embiid Ooh, is hmm. unstoppable, unstoppable. But, I mean, the Nets got Seth Curry, who can shoot. Joe Thomas is out for a while. They got, um, let's see, who else did they get? They got one of the better defensive players in the league. Let's see, who else did they get? Seth Curry. Did Simmons go across in that one? Oh, yeah, Ben Simmons. That was the main guy yeah, that was, was talking about. So Ben yeah. Simmons. Because they already have Durant and they already have Kyrie Irving. They don't need the scorer, but they need this guy who can facilitate. Now, it depends on his mental health, and there's some other things that he's going to be doing. But yeah, pretty good trade. My question more, because this is obviously a very Houston-heavy podcast, like what is James Harden doing? He keeps forcing his way out, and is he the guy to lead a team to a championship? Because Joel Embiid is unstoppable, but I just don't know if – I, I just don't know. I mean, I just don't you know if James say Harden. Yeah. He's not no, I just don't know if he no, I just don't know if he has the No, what what the, is what is your ath, what is your athlete gut feeling when when you're watching the moves and you're watching what what is transpiring with this guy? Give me your athletic Yeah, the gut. instinct is I don't think I'd want him as a teammate. That's my instinct. The, and and my <laughs> instinct is once when he was in Houston, I, I had no idea. And now, okay, when he was in Houston, James Harden was the man. I, he, you know, he was here for a purpose. He was here with Daryl Morey, you know, getting back to what you were talking about with Daryl Morey going from the mm-hmm. Houston Rockets to the Philadelphia 76ers. You know, there's a relationship there. Daryl Morey brought him from Oklahoma City into Houston and made him the man. It, it, everything was centered around him. It was his team. It was they were going to go as far as James Harden could go. They went to a couple of conference championships, couldn't get into the finals. But watching what I'm watching now, and watching the departure to the Nets, and hearing how na- not just Houston media, national media talks about him, and now with this trade, and I think it was Charles, Bar- <laughs> it was Charles Barkley who said, you know, now that he's gotten traded, he's healthy now. You know. <laughs> So, so, I mean, it's like yeah. the image he has is not good outside of Houston. I didn't realize how much they protected him here because now that what I'm watching and seeing, I'm going, man, maybe this guy, you know, maybe he's not what we all made him out to be. I mean, he, I thought he was phenomenal here in Houston. I mean, they, they created that ISO offense right around him, the three pointers, the analytics, and he thrived. And I thought, you know, you, you put him around other stars where you got to share a little bit and it gets a little sketchy, man. I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm like you. I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want them on my team. I guess it depends on who you are in that teammate thing. I, I would assume they wouldn't have traded him away from the nets if Kevin Durant said, we can't trade him. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like that was something that Steve Nash and Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were like, ah, you know, I don't know if that was strictly just the GM saying we got to do this. I think, you know, obviously when things aren't going well, I, I just, I'm. This is the old grumpy old man guy that comes out on this podcast on occasion. It's just it, this is the same thing as the transfer portal and something else. It's like, oh my god, we're halfway through the season, you know, and the you know the boat's sinking. So let's just let's just throw the life raft over and and get going. Like we we can throw this guy on the life raft and get rid of him. And I just think you know some of the I heard Sean McVay talk today, and I don't really Sean McVay is not one of my favorite coaches. He's a little too rah rah for me. But I do go when the Rams were seven and one, and then they went to seven and four. He said that he was re- really proud of the team for staying the course. And then you know they were down or they were up twenty seven to three to the goat, you know, on the Buccaneers, and the Buccaneers came all the way back 27-27. and how the guys like rallied around Stafford and they stuck with it. And the more I heard him talk about rallying around and sticking with it and toughing it out, I thought those are the guys that you want to be in the dugout on the sideline with, and so. As much as I like Sean McVay or don't like Sean McVay, I really liked his mantra. I like how he spoke. It wasn't just, it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't just rhetoric. It was, it was something that it was tangible. It was meaningful. And yeah, you can have Aaron Donald and you can have Jalen Ramsey and you can have all these guys, but you need everyone to come together and you know be pulling in the same direction. We've talked about that, and I just keep 
whether it be the Nets trading him or whether it's Harden forcing his way out or whether he's like, you know, a crying baby, you know, like, eh, let me out. Like, or whether Daryl Morey just wanted him. We don't know all the in particulars, but, or the specifics, but I just, uh, yeah, it just, you know, it rubs me the wrong way. So it'll be interesting to see because the 76ers are fantastic and Joel Embiid's playing really well. But it'll be, mm-hmm. see how, it'll be interesting to see how both of these um, pieces, these chess pieces, affect their new teams. So. Yeah, and Daryl Morey had success with them before. Maybe Daryl Morey has a way to motivate them now. That'd be a great thing. Yeah. And as we have a moment, we're going to get motivated by our sponsor. All right. Thank you to our sponsors. Hopefully you guys are uh, getting a lot of those uh, out of those sponsors. We're coming to you on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. They keep adding new podcasts. But we're one of the original old timers on the old Blue Wire Network. Bleacher Blums. And uh, you can reach us at bleacherblums.com. You can also reach Blummer at Blummer27 on Instagram and Twitter. Myself at Real David Tuttle on both of those socials. And don't forget the short hops on YouTube. Short hops. And we'll probably have a nice little short hop from this. Everybody's drinking a little something, something, a little late night. I don't know if we're getting as off the rails as we wanted to, but. I could use about two more to get there. Right. Well, speaking about off the rails, I was going to say we have our favorite golf tournament this week, the Waste Management Open. They've done such a good job. Yeah. And we're not we're not headed down there, but I know it's something that we've talked about on this podcast before. Um, So that place gets off the rails. What do you think? I I, I'm kind of figuring that there's going to be some more golf venues that get like that but now as we see fan interaction fan interference kind of affecting all kind of sports all kinds of <laughs> sports easy for me to say but uh i don't know it'll be interesting to see how that goes i do find i don't watch a lot of golf i do like that tournament but you know it is really funny to tune into sports center mm-hmm. and watch like three or four foursomes go through that uh 17th 16th hole 16th hole so yeah I watch, I watch a lot of golf. I, I, yeah, I love maybe. the game, uh, and I watch a lot of it. I love talking about it, and luckily I've got friends near here that we all talk about it. But waste, the Waste Management Tour in Fien- or Scottsdale, Arizona, is is one of the more entertaining tournaments, and I think they're, they're, it's definitely created a vibe. It's created its own energy about it because, like you're talking about, the 16th hole – even without the you know the suites and the scaffolding and the bleachers that are built around it, it's a stadium course. So you know it it has these berms around it. And if you go back and watch you know the late 1990s when Tiger Woods was playing, there's still you know 40, 50,000 people wrapped around this hole on this par three. Now they've actually monetized it, brilliant, and and raised it up you know about three or four levels. They've got you know 75 suites. They've got 60,000 people on one hole. And there's just this buzz and this vibe around this thing, and I love that they do this to golfers because everything, if you if you're if you're an outsider watching golf, all you've ever heard about golfers is, shh, quiet, he's hitting, and then you hear, <laughs> you know, the the sure. golf claps. So you know you've got a little bit of Happy Gilmore happening on the 16th hole at this tournament, and it really creates an environment that these guys are not accustomed to. I, you know, you hear stories about guys playing in it because of that, and then you hear about guys who don't play in that tournament because of that. They don't yeah. like the intimidating factor of, of actually the the idea of being booed. Oh gosh, you know, who, you know, being booed is kind of cool, but as a visiting player, not as a bad shot. Russell uh, Westbrook you know, was saying that, hey, it's a sign of respect, and somebody pointed out yeah. that it, it's a sign of respect when you're on the road, not when you're in the Staples Center getting booed. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's a great so, call. Same, right? Same point. It's the same point. But, uh, you know, you got John Rahm who played at Arizona State, you know, uh, Phil Mickelson, him and his brother. His brother was John Rahm's coach, who's now caddying for Phil Mickelson, which is kind of interesting. But, uh, you know, I love it. I think it's great. And, you know, just to tie it all back to my favorite TV show, The Bachelor, did you see that they did the Pro-Am and they had fans in there watching the Pro-Am and they booed Aaron Rodgers? But they also, did you see, there was a guy named Matt Jones who was a bachelor a couple years ago. He stood up there in a pair of overalls, no shoes, and proceeded to shank it into the photographers that were on the tee box. It was freaking hilarious. So if you are bored- How did he get into the pro-am as a bachelor? Is that, I mean- Dude, he's a celeb, bro. Oh my god, I'm gonna go on one of those shows. I mean, then we can be just so, a celeb. Just so you can play in the waste management well, tour. No, I, not to <laughs> game. Be a celeb. 
You know what's funny? You played with guys like this too. Matt Williams, I went to dinner with him one time and he told a story about um, playing in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. And he said he's never been more nervous. Like you could face Randy Johnson a million times. He's like standing yep. on a tee box in a Pro-Am. And I know you've played in some of these golf things, but I mean, Pebble Beach is as well attended as any sporting event mm-hmm. in the world. And he said these people like, you know, Peering down the little, like it's almost you don't realize to get I'm a, quiet because I know you're, you know they're focused on you. Oh, I'm a baseball player. Uh, I'm not a golfer, and you keep leaning over. You better watch out. He said he's never been so nervous in his entire life. I can only imagine. I mean, I guess if you're Matt Jones, you just hit the camera. You know, the cameraman. That's fine. But he smoked him. It was. You don't want to hit some little old lady. That's like. Anyway. Just an but, interesting but thing. To your point, uh, if you watch, I watched, obviously I watched it, but Aaron Rodgers, you could tell that he wasn't shook in the sense that mm-hmm. he couldn't do it, but you could tell that he was, you know, it wasn't the the body movement. You can tell when a guy's nervous because the body oh, yeah. just doesn't move the way it normally it's does. Stiff. No, I've been, <laughs> you and I have both been in that Dude, situation. It's rigid as hell. That's not a, yeah, it's like a, exactly. It's not a. You know, and you like slam the ball down and then you grab your club and you're like, you know, no, the joints are moving and there's no fluidity to the whole thing. And you could tell that he was just turning that club into molten steel because you're gripping yeah, it so, so hard. Funny. But, it, so you know, funny. he hit it, didn't hit the green and got booed. But, it, you know, at least he had forward progress. But I just laughed my ass off at Matt Jones just going and smoking it right into the photographers. And the best part about it is, is they replayed it in slow-mo. As he's swinging, the photographers cover up. Oh, like they, they anticipated it. It was freaking, it was hilarious. Oh it almost gosh, it was, was staged then. I just, it, our, it felt our lovely producer way, yeah. just said, so it's Matt James, but. Who cares? That's a, that's James, how much. Jones, a, no, but that's how much of a celebrity he is. You're like, oh no, he's yeah. a celebrity. Yeah, Matt. We can't James. get his yeah, name sorry. right. Matt. J- that's why our producers on here. He's our fact checker yeah. too. Yeah, he is. But still, well, Matt James. That, who cares? Yeah. Um. My point is, celebrity schmlebrity. Shm- I don't know if that's even a word. But easy to say after some whiskey. Matt Schmarschmarschmama. But uh, but I think so. Uh, this is a number that jumped out at me. You always, I usually come at you with some numbers. So is that right? Sixty thousand people on that hole? There's something like that. Yeah, I had no idea. It's amazing. They're, they're, I mean, when they're going good, they're averaging like one hundred and twenty thousand people at this thing. That's nuts. Sixty thousand yeah. people on one hole. Like, I mean, that's a f- uh, college football stadium. Yeah, that's all right. So on hole sixteen in yes. two thousand eighteen, that tournament averaged two hundred and. 16,000 fans attended the event overall. Okay, for four days. So, yeah. Yeah. If we divide that by that, four, uh, you're looking at about 50,000. And probably if you I don't get know how real this 30. is, it says, according to Google, it can, uh, the, the 16th is the star of the show and can host more than 200,000 fans a day. I don't believe that. Well, that's drifting in and out. That's their pub PR. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to know what, like, the, 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 like, if you just yeah. let everybody in, what is the attendance, yeah. like, at that yeah. given moment? Yeah, yeah, that's here crazy. You go. Capacity is sixteen thousand plus. Yeah. Uh, several other prior estimates have put the figure at twenty thousand. Yeah. I would. I can't even hit a golf ball, you know, with you and John Adams staring at me too hard. Like, right. You know, I'm I got to hit now. a golf ball with like seventeen, eighteen thousand people, and I think you nailed it with Aaron Rodgers. Like, it doesn't. As a quarterback, he can do his craft. Quarterback, (laughs) but you, I mean, but trying to do something that you're not comfortable doing, I mean, is just, I mean, you can imagine, yeah, it's we've been there, and uh, not with a golf ball or a golf club, but you know, we've all felt nerves like that before, and like you said, you can tell instantly. Yeah, I always say you're gonna have it's humbling, and it's I love the humility of it because all of a sudden, you know, the entire planet is in that tee box with him, going, I'd be doing the same thing. And that's the one time you can actually be on the same level with some of these guys. <laughs> that's right. You know? Yeah, when they're not doing their thing. And it's funny you say that, and this is a little aside, but I happen to – I'm not a big Pro Bowl watcher, but I watched the skills competition that came up really quickly. You know, it was like the night before, like last Saturday night, and I was heading up to bed, and I'm like, oh, the skills comp's on. And they had like one quarterback and one other player do the skills competition. I think Hunter Renfro did it for the – um AFC and then Justin Jefferson because they can throw, I guess they can throw a football because it was a throwing thing. Mm -hmm. And Renfro and Jefferson scored like two points in the drill. Matt Jones was respectably scored like 10 points. And Russell Wilson was the AFC. Matt Jones. Matt Mac Jones. That's exactly right. Did I I said Matt James? (laughs) No, I'm just Oh, now we're just. Oh, okay. Yeah, now it's all. So Mac Jones was respectable as the rookie, you know, probably rookie Mm -hmm. of the year, Patriots quarterback, got about 10 points. Russell Wilson popped in, 
and scored uh, 10 points on his first 10 throws. He ended, and ended the round with like 32 points. Um, and you're like, oh, yeah, so that's exactly what an all-star quarterback would be able to do right, in something yeah. like this. So when you're when you're actually doing the skill that you were born, you know, born to do, mm-hmm. you know, I bet you could still take some ground balls and fire some stuff across the infield. But it is funny how natural he looked, and I was like, oh man, like that's what you forget is Aaron Rodgers could do the same thing, but he's standing on a tee box, and you know, I don't know. Yeah, it, it's just really interesting. So the the skill level we talked about a little bit off air, the Olympians. These guys getting out of the the half pipe at eighteen feet and you know throwing a football through uh, targets and whatnot. I mean, I think sometimes we forget at what a high level these guys do it at. Yep, they do. All right, so I've got one more thing for you. This is okay. going to kind of guess qualify as uh, what'll Tuttle say. Mm-hmm. Um, this week we got to see a really great, cool highlight on SportsCenter about uh, storming the court in Arkansas. So we know your your lovely eldest daughter is now going to be an Arkansas Razorback. And um, uh, I did point this out to you. I can't remember if it was on air or off air when we were recording. But uh, Arkansas has Eric Musselman, one of my favorite coaches, one of Jim Rome's favorite guests. University of Nevada, Reno, he took to the tournament. He was a Santa Barbara coach for a while. Like he's The guy's like a lifer in basketball. Go banana slugs. Oh, there you go. No. Santa Barbara's not the banana slugs. Santa Cruz. The Gauchos, you nailed it. UCSB Gauchos. But but Musselman, nonetheless, is an excellent basketball coach. But and you know, Auburn did dance a little bit on the Razorback, the logo, you know, Pig Suey at the beginning of the game. But Can't I mean watching the end of that game, I mean, like they missed the shot, then the lights went out and they stormed <sighs> the court and like the Auburn people were like throwing blows. They were throwing elbow. You saw that? Like you can't storm the court if you're a team that went to the Elite Eight last year and you That's expected- not, Are you really an underdog? <laughs> exactly. They were a one, I think they the were SEC. a one and a half point underdog or Everybody's a two point underdog. Good. Exactly. So I, I know what you was, agree. Say with, it again. What was the line before the game? I think it was one and a half or yeah, it was oh, one geez, or one and a so half. Come on. Yeah. So so I think they broke a cardinal rule, which is you can't storm the court if you're just a one point yeah. underdog, right? <laughs> like this should be a close game. Now, yeah, maybe they would never come out and say this kind of like the unwritten rule of baseball, right? Like I didn't throw it that guy, the ball just slipped, but you know, he pimped a home run two times in a row. So, um, <laughs> they danced a little bit on the logo. We know how particular, uh, the Cowboys are about the star when Terrell Owens did something yeah. there. And, you know, I mean, you don't want to, maybe there was a little extra on it. Yeah. Right. You don't want to poke the bear and maybe they'll never come out and say it. But I do think that um, if your daughter next year is in a one-point underdog game and they storm the court and she's in the the court storming situation, you got to call her and uh, give her a little grief. So, what say you about this uh, this court storming thing? I, I think we're aligned there, but you know, maybe it was yeah. just they got caught up in the moment and they were a little lubricated, possibly. Good, good chance. And you know, I, I'm all for the excitement. I'm all for the rivalry. You know, if there was something going on pregame that kind of you know added to the the emphasis at the end of the game, so be it. That's great. But what blew me away, and I agree with you. You know, charging the court as a one and a half point underdog, and you know, in the SEC, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that qualifies as an upset. Right. Um, I know that Arkansas is not having the greatest season overall, but that beating them, you know, maybe is the highlight of their season. I'm not sure. Cause like you said, last year going to the elite eight, it's, it, these guys are for real. They're not, they're not just a, a you know, one hit wonder type team. They're a pretty good ball club, but what blew me away in that whole thing. So the, the last shot I saw was the Arkansas player dunking and then hell breaking loose. But what shocked me the most, the lights, how in the hell did the game production people up in the booth know to turn off the lights and like flash them and go nuts? I mean, are you anticipating? That, that's what got me. I'm like, you're anticipating this win right here and you're anticipating everybody losing their minds. So you start turning the lights off and on. You got, you know, lights flashing. I mean, it was it was a nightclub. It was a nightclub in it, 30 instantly, seconds. Instantly, the or second less, that guy dunked seconds. it, it turned into freaking, you know, Studio 54. Yeah. And and I think, you know, not for the safety of the players, but as a sportsmanship respect thing. I mean, you're asking an 18-year-old kid to, like, just walk off the court and oh, be— Oh, man, yeah, that's not I fair. I mean, 
I'd be throwing blows. And then they'd be, you know, now the people with cell phone video and, you know, it's like, I would not be happy about that if I was a losing no. player. Like, you know, we say this all the time in football and baseball, but, you know, act like you've been there. You know, act like you've been there. You guys are going to win the game. You're a one and a half. Now, if you want to celebrate that night or, you know, let the Auburn, you know, shake their hands and get them off the court and then go nuts, that's fine. You see it all the time. And maybe that's just professional versus amateur sports. I don't know. Have you ever had a chance to uh, rush a court, rush a football field, rush a what, anything? Uh, when we won, yeah, we won, I mean, on our own thing, when we won championships, right? Double A, we mm-hmm. won a championship, and A ball, we yeah. won a championship. That was, yeah, where you throw your gloves in the air, and it's probably one of the best feelings you'll have in your entire life. But, you know, you didn't knock the third base coach over trying to get to the mound. <laughs> like, woo, we won it all. <laughs> Could you imagine bull, bull rushing some guy? It's like the yeah. Yankees beating the Kansas City Royals back in the yeah. 80s, and they're just plowing through fans, oh, yeah, getting yeah. in the dugout. That's uh, right. I got to charge the field once. Um, it, was my, it was my recruiting trip to Cal. <laughs> Did they beat Cal Stanford, went, the big game? No, they beat what? UCLA for the Ooh. first time in like 35 years or something. And I'm like, you know, I'm a idiot 18 year old i'm drink, you know uh, maybe had a oh you weren't drinking on your recruiting trip yeah. don't lie <laughs> uh and uh all of a sudden i'm looking around and everybody's going dude we're gonna beat him we're gonna beat him we're gonna rush the field i'm going we're gonna what i had no idea what was going on but guess what i did yeah i was yeah, your right host the rushed bleachers. the field you're, if your host rushed the field you're rushing the field oh my gosh hey yeah, you're staying dude. at my place tonight Unless you don't rush the field, okay? Yeah, he. I got the like, don't leave my side, and all of a yeah, sudden we right. were on the field. And it was going, field, it was yeah. bedlam, but it was it was pretty freaking funny. As long as you didn't get cuffed, and it was that the only time as a cow, you committed to cow, so it was great. But it was the only time you ever got to rush the field was before me. you were actually yeah. a student. I wasn't even a, like a, attending the university, and I got to rush the field. Yeah, it was That's hilarious. Funny. Yeah, the court storming thing, and we could go off on a tangent. I just, you know, we got it. Your daughter's been around athletics, certainly much of her life with you, you know, you got to make sure just another caught up in the moment. Yeah. But it's eh, not just, mm. but it's just another parental, you know, guidance before she leaves the nest teaching moment. Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess if your whole sorority and all your friends are out there (laughs) then you're probably going to go, but just, you know, keep in mind, like, you know, if somebody pulls you aside and go, why are you out here, ma'am? What are you doing? And you'd be like, well, I realized we were only one and a half point underdogs and I shouldn't be out here. But I just followed my sisters out here. My yeah, that's right. My dad would my dad would, you know, be mad at me if I was you know, at least just have your wits about you and you know, if somebody pulls you aside and asks you what you're doing out there, at least say, you know what, peer pressure I came out here, not yes, we beat Auburn. We're one and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway. But anyway, it was it was kind of the highlight of the week and I, I can't I don't know if I'm biased because he's a West Coast guy, but Musselman just cracks me up, man. He's just – he's coach speak all day long. He's like, got like oh. his arm in a sling and he – Oh, yeah. He's just a, he's just a wackadoo. Anyway, yeah. that's cool. So you got anything that you need to share, like you know, to um, get off your chest or no? No, I've got nothing to get off my chest. I got I have an admission to make. So you Ooh. know, you talk about guilty pleasures. And the only reason I'm thinking about this right now is because the other day, you know, I'm sitting there talking to my wife – and we were talking about TV shows, and we're always telling our kids about what movies we watched when we were their age. And I don't know how Kim Cattrall's name came up uh, from Sex in the City, but my wife, oh, there was a song. There was a song from the movie in Mannequin that she was in. And my Ooh, wife mannequin. is like, I remember yeah, Mannequin. Right? I mean, she burst onto the scene. You were like, that, okay, she's pretty. Was that Andrew you know? McCarthy that fell in yeah, love with the Mannequin? Look yeah, it's okay. you. Hey. Come on. So you, you and got I are, this. Yeah. We also had a lot of free time on some bus yeah. and stuff. You oh, know, my. But that, that's exactly right. So that's how this guilty pleasure comes in. So we're talking about mannequin. We're talking about guilty pleasures. And I'm going, Kim Cattrall. I'm like, that wasn't even her greatest performance. Her greatest performance is one of my easily my guilty pleasure favorite film ever. And if it's on, like, and everybody leaves the room, I will sit in the room by myself and watch this movie to the end and I'm wondering if you know what movie I'm talking about. Oh, with Kim Cattrall? Kim, I'll give you that's oh. the only hint you get. It's in the 80s, and it's Kim Cattrall. Gosh, it's just I was a movie. thinking Mannequin was in there because, yeah, no, she was hot, though, in this one movie. You're right. I think it was the first time you ever saw her without clothes on, probably. Hmm. No, it wasn't in this movie where she had uh, her, but she had, uh, her eyes were in crazy blue, and it, she was gorgeous. But you ready for this? I'm ready. Jack Burton was the main character. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. 
Oh, Jack Burton. What is that? Why yep. don't I know? I don't. I'm I'm lost now. But when you say it, I'm going to be mad at myself because it it's not my guilty pleasure. It's yours. So at least it I is. Can it's one hundred percent mine. Right. And I it kills me every time. My wife. Is this a hot dog? Nope. No. This is Jack Burton in the Pork Chop Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out here. Big trouble in, oh, little, in China. little China. 20th Century Fox presents Kurt Russell in John Carpenter's Big Trouble in Little China. It's on the reflexes. Oh my gosh. It is one of the craziest is that movies. Kurt Russell? Yeah, dude. Nice. Okay, so I do know the movie. Yeah, but I I don't think I've ever seen Big Trouble in Little China from beginning to end. So there's my. Well, I am ed- encouraging I, you I, and right. Bleacher Blums fans <laughs> to sit down and watch one of the true classic one-liners: Kurt Russell, Kim Cattrall, priceless. You will not be disappointed. Oh, good. By watching this, it is it's great. awesome. <laughs> I, you threw this at me, and I haven't. Now I feel bad. I mean, maybe well, I, I don't want to put it on you because I didn't give you a heads up. That's something no, I got you have you, to think about. But I got to think about a guilty. Pl- I mean, there are still, and this isn't. I mean, this. That's how we tease the next podcast. I got you, but this is not throwing anything out there. But I will say this because my wife will do it too. Is I, I. This is the problem with streaming everything now. I do not flip mm-hmm. through the channels anymore. I got rid of cable two years ago. I'm just. I don't click through channels anymore. Um. That's a bummer because then I have to hunt and peck and search out the next TV show I'm going to watch. But when I had like TNT or TBS, yes. which I still have on the oh. app, and you would click through. And you're traveling at 2, 3 in the uh-huh. morning. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that all that stuff. But I mean, yeah. I have guilty pleasures. But I guess what I was going to say is this isn't even that old of a movie. But you can watch A Few Good Men. It's always great when it's you're an hour in. And he's driving up to the magazine stand, and you're like, oh, all right. I got. I guess this is an hour and a half. I'm going to be stuck in front of the and TV. And you know exactly what's happening, and you can't right. turn it off. And you can't turn it off at all. That's one that still gets me. Sen of a Woman, I, I always catch that one at the end when Al Pacino's like, you know, Yeah. And Loco Parientes, I'm going to stand in here for him. His parents oh aren't here. Oh, my gosh, yeah. The, the, and you're the, just the, like, the, hoo so those are, but those are great movies. Shawshank will get me. I mean, these are all oh, classic movies. Yeah. But they're, I always turn on Shawshank when they're tarring the roof up there and they crack open the beer and you're like, oh, I guess I'm going to watch this for another hour. Um, yeah, you look around, guilt- you're like, what snacks do I have available? Yeah. And here I am. Yeah. So Guilty <laughs> Pleasure though, like when those are on, it's not as great when it's not on HBO, but um, Lethal Weapon is one that I will still watch always. Oh, wow. They start in the Christmas tree farm, you know, and there, there he is like- <laughs> But the the original, and then of course the one where Joe Pesci got introduced. Um, I think that was Lethal Weapon Two. Yeah, um, that's the one that yeah. started with him sitting on the shitter. Yeah. The uh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. And well, that that was yeah. That was like the first harrowing scene. I think the movie actually started <laughs> with them chasing the Krugerrand guy, and he went through the yeah. window, and then he comes in. And he's like, oh. Why the plastic? He's oh, hey, we're just doing some painting. <laughs> He's standing on the plastic. <laughs> Boom, you're yep. done. We wrap up the plastic. You're like, and the, you know, everybody's nervous. Clean up but on anyway, four. so big trouble in Little China. All right, I gotta go oh back. Oh my further. gosh, yeah, the special effects are hor- are awful. Oh, the story is even, even crazier. But oh. just you know, Kurt Russell just plays this cocky trucker, and he's just. Jack Burns here, you know, third person type oh. stuff. It's freaking hilarious. Look at you. I love that you yeah. uh, that you threw that out there. I mean, I I probably I'm gonna come up with a couple that um, are a little lesser known than the ones I just mentioned. But that's great. I got something to do now. I can watch right. I mean, yeah, we've asked people you to you know what what are their go to movies? What books are they reading? Um, I read something recently that said you know men typically like to read nonfiction books. Because we're more oh, practical yeah. and women like fiction huh. because they like the emotional, like the story, the tie-in. Okay. So I'm trying to read nonfiction and fiction because I'm typically reading nonfiction. I think we've talked about that. But if you have any good fiction books that I should be reading, then uh, um, I'll take your suggestions at Real David Tuttle. Yeah. And those- your suggestions right here on the podcast. What do you got? Well, you talked about pra- – it's funny you say practical. I'm reading Indistractable. Oh, <laughs> right now, and it's just you know getting through this current state of affairs yeah. of but social it's non-fiction. media and all the distractions. Yeah, it's nonfiction. Yeah, of course yeah. you are. I'm reading a nonfiction book called The Happiness Equation, so it's like oh okay, you know. So there you um, go. I actually my nightstand book before I go to bed is uh, uh, I think it's Robert Ludlum, and it's uh, called Treadstone Resurrection. So it's kind Ooh. of like past go. the the Jason Bourne type yeah. stuff, but it's like. Nice. 
you know. Well, that's fiction. Yeah. But again, men tend tend to lean on like you know, like you said, oh, Robert I, Ludlum I've got more, or more of like, these books than I do those other books. Yeah, yeah. So, but no, but I'm or, saying even you know, those books are like motivation. somewhat realistic. They're FBI, and it's not like yes. you're not yes. reading like yeah, you're not reading. You know, uh, well, doesn't everybody want to be a spy or work for you know, be a Navy SEAL or something? I don't no, know. No, that's what I'm saying. I read <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Jack Carr is the Navy SEAL guy. He was an actual Navy mm-hmm. SEAL in all his books, and I like those. But it's like, yeah, he carries like nine weapons on him, and nobody knows he has nine weapons on him. You're like, oh, okay. yeah. All of a sudden, I want to have so, like a go bag in my closet now. Ready, that's right. <laughs> ready it's, for World it's, War Three. <laughs> it's fiction, but it's is it really fiction when you know my wife's reading a book about you know like the bridges of Madison County and. It's like Clint Eastwood, and he's a really handsome guy who's rugged that has all these secrets. Look at and you're how like, sensitive all right. and grace. Yeah, but it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't work for me. You have enough. You have enough uh, estrogen in your house, so. Yeah, I'm, I've, I've got hip waders on. All right, let's finish uh, this podcast. We already uh, had a word from our sponsor, but let's finish with our final. I mean, I think we mentioned it this week on Monday, but what what do we say? Did anything change in our Super Bowl predictions? No. You know, you're. Are you going to watch the Super Bowl? Yeah, I'm going to be in Palm Springs right. with some I friends know. because yep. we planned this vacation right yeah, around. You're going to be having Valentine's Day with one eye on the hot tub and one eye on the Super Bowl, possibly. Love you, babe. Come on, Joe. Come on, Joe. <laughs> yeah, I'm still on the Joe Burrow train. I'm, I'm sticking Ooh. with Joe. Super Joe. Wow. What were the odds at? Have we? I haven't even looked it's, up the odds. So it's it was the four. I think they got it down to four. It was four and a half when it opened. Ooh. So Bengals minus four and a half, or Bengals, excuse me, plus four and a half. Um, what I would say, so if the betting folks that, you know, sort of listen to me, we don't do a whole lot of betting on here, but, uh, it would be hard to get bet against Joe Burrow. But in this scenario, if you want to bet on the Rams, just the closer to game time you get, the better odds always come to the favorite. So, you know, it could get to Rams True. three and a half Rams four. I mean, the Rams have a dominant defense and I know Joe Burrow won a game with nine sacks against the Titans. I just... I am not betting against Joe Burrow, but I'm <laughs> I'm leaning towards betting against Joe Burrow mainly because of experience. I mean, I think in the few you know in the coming years he's going to have a better team, more experience, and his moxie is going to get him somewhere. But mm-hmm. you know, I think Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, you know, Vaughn Miller, these kind of guys, they have moxie as well That's as a and, big along test. with yeah, some man. experience, like. You know, some we've seen it with Tom Brady. You just can't will your way into the championship. You need some pieces in place. But uh, so, are you no, saying true. Bengals outright or just Bengals with the spread? Yeah, I think the Bengals win. I'm calling oh. the Bengals win right here. Yeah, nice. I'm not even and going I think points, I going nothing. I'm going straight up. Nice. Yeah. Anything can happen in the Super Bowl. I like yep. I like Joe Burrow as well. I I I'm, I can't find myself betting against Joe Burrow. So yeah, nothing's changed since Monday. So folks, there you go. You heard it here first, second, and third. <laughs> <laughs> going on the Bengals, the Bengals Joe Burrow train, mainly because we can't bet against that twenty-three-year-old uh, dude. I was going to say, if Joe, if Joe Burrow does end up winning the the Super Bowl, we, our record so far to start out this year has been pretty damn impressive in our predictions, both with Major League Baseball and some of the other stuff we talked about. Oh my gosh, yeah, yeah, we've been yeah we're going to have to we're going to have to put a compilation tape together and send it to to Vegas. Yeah, go get a mark. All right. Here we go. All right, that's all we got. So late night. So you're going to Palm Springs, my friend. Enjoy your Valentine's Day, uh, folks out there, but also us as well. Enjoy your Valentine's Day. I will say being married almost 20 years, uh, we try and take advantage of everything but Valentine's Day. Like we will not be going out at a table for two or buying roses on on Monday the 14th, the Hallmark holiday of the champion. I hate Valentine's. Sorry. (laughs) No, I'm with you. See if anybody's listening. (laughs) As he snaps his head back. <laughs> that, that's going to be the short hop. I got five women yeah. in this house. Hey, Valentine's Day. Oh. Did I say that out loud? Oh, crap. I'm going to get in a lot of Anyway, so thank to, thanks to all our listeners. Uh, again, we always thank the uh, first responders, military, um, teachers, healthcare workers. Um, we didn't mention this on the podcast, but yeah, look, yeah, we got a list of people to thank. We love um, we the mask mandate may be going away here in California schools. Um, oh, I do I do still crack up Welcome seeing people unless they're not Uber, <laughs> but I see people driving their car with their mask on, and I'm just hoping they forgot to take it off when they left the store. <laughs> You're like, I don't think your air conditioner is going to give you COVID. And then outdoors, I'm watching the Olympics, and these guys are wearing a mask when they're 20 feet away. They're like, all right, so you know they're standing by the ski slope with the reporter. I'm mm-hmm. like, there's no one around you. Like, do you have to wear a mask? I know. 
That's the one of irony, my fears is in 10 years, we look back at this and realize how ludicrous everything well, was. I was going to say the irony that we're in China for the Winter Olympics where the, uh, <clears throat> the Wuhan, probably the <laughs> Wuhan flu started and we're wearing masks and someone's going to be like, so COVID started in China. And then we went back there for the Olympics and we wore masks. <laughs> like, like you said, the optics, the optics are going to be out of control. Total finishing on fire. No, I'm just saying the optics are going to be out of control, right? People it's are going to be like, what were these crazy about? people thinking? Yeah. So anyway. All right. So, so did we went, thank everybody? You went to where, you went to the the, the origin of the place to compete? Yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you wore masks some of the time? I don't, I'm confused. <laughs> anyway. All right. So thanks to first responders, military, people that put their life on the line um, for our freedoms. We appreciate you. Um, if you're over the age of 45, please don't forget to get screened for colorectal cancer. Plumber. Have you recovered from your giggles? You're get, are you getting on an airplane tomorrow morning? Tomorrow morning, yeah. I'm, I, oh, and nice. I, I'm going to go play the TPC Stadium course out in Palm Springs. So nice. keep an eye on my Instagram. It's going to be entertaining. Yeah. I'm going to be a hey, yard sale. Well, I might come watch you. No, I'm kidding. My brother's only... actually going to be out there. I can't wait to oh. see him. It's going to be great. Oh, is he going to play with you guys? Yeah. Yeah, we oh, had great. an opening in our in our foursome. And nice. I called him, and he's, he's going to be there. Yeah, awesome. Well, that's great. Yeah. I mean, he's close to you, and he's yeah. close to you both – Physically and mentally, he's close to you. But uh, that's great, awesome. Well, I will. Uh, I'm. I'm going to be busy, but still, it should be enjoyable. Yeah, sorry. All right, dude. Enjoy the weekend. Happy Super Bowl, and everybody, get after it and believe it. Ramos has got a grin. He's hammered. <laughs> I was going to say, is it full again? Yeah. <laughs>